Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And this week we will be talking about the big geopolitical events. But first, let's discuss how our week has been. Yeah, well, adulting is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing a bunch of yeah. adult stuff. Yeah, we're doing all the adulting, all the mundane adult tasks. and I mean, it was a very relaxing week. And we also released our first episode of Insightful Inquiries. Yeah, thank you, Vic and Tony, for doing that. Uh, yeah. I think the episode was amazing. We tackled a lot of the big intelligence analysis issues within academia, and that was yeah. awesome. Well, cool. Well, we have many interviews planned coming up this year, and we're very excited about it. Yeah, some so, big names coming on the podcast, so yeah, yeah, yeah. be ready for it. But we we have a lot a to get lot, into. Yeah. yeah, we have a lot to get into. So let's just dive right into it. So what is on your radar this week? Well, we're going to give an update on the Kazakhstan crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an update on Russia versus Ukraine. Uh, also, North Korea fired a suspected ballistic missile. So that's scary. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go right into Poland. There was a, a spyware scandal that raised doubts over the election in 2019. Uh, also, there was a the, the Danish spy chief was arrested uh, this Uh-oh. week, and that's that's something we're going to get into, and that's a crazy story. <laughs> and then we're going to finish it out with history's mysteries with yes. Agent Three Five Five. Okay, that sounds fun. Well, last week you briefly spoke about demonstrations in Kazakhstan and that the government had resigned due to increased violence amongst protesters. What is the update to that story? Well, there's a lot to talk about on this subject, so we're going to start with a recap of how it all started. So, protests began on January 2nd, a day after the government lifted its price cap on liquefied petroleum gas uh, that many many of the Kazakhs had converted their cars to because it's cheaper than other fuel. However, the government said that the price cap was leading to LPG shortages, and it could no longer afford to boost supplies. So that decision to remove the cap virtually doubled the price of LPG. Now, another factor for protesters appeared to be that former President Nursultan Yazerbayev remained an honorary member of the Senate of Kazakhstan. And he was also the chairman of the Security Council. So protesters could be heard chanting the name of Mr. Yazerbayev, and they also tried to tear down a bronze statue of him. And this all led to Russia getting involved. Here we go. So what is the Russia angle? Well, Kazakhstan actually falls under the Collective Security Treaty Organization, which is a group of former Soviet bloc countries that organized after the fall of the Soviet Union. And those countries include Russia, Kazakhstan, Belarus, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Armenia. Now, the president of Kazakhstan, who is friendly with Putin and Russia, requested support in order to stabilize the country. Russia then accused the U.S. and Western Europe 
of years of failed foreign policy that is helping to provoke the crisis in Kazakhstan. Putin went as far as to say Kazakhstan had been targeted by terrorists, blaming the situation on unidentified external forces. Did Russia send help to Kazakhstan? Uh, they certainly did, and Russians comprised the vast majority of the 2,500 CSTO troops that have deployed in Kazakhstan. Has this hindered Russia from making moves in Ukraine? Well, actually, I believe it's emboldened Putin to invade Ukraine. So setting aside the accusation that the protesters are foreign actors trying to destabilize the region, I can see a scenario playing out where a swift de-escalation of the violence can be used as propaganda to promote the need for Russian protection in Ukraine. How has the de-escalation been going? Well, that depends on who you ask. The Kazakhstan presidential statement detailed that the situation had stabilized with troops continuing cleanup operations and guarding strategic facilities. However, a post from the secure messaging app Telegram said that 164 people had died during the wave of violence. The Kazakhstan government quickly denied that information and said only 44 people are confirmed dead. Only 44. Well, yeah, as if <laughs> as if one life isn't yeah, it's worth it. Is yeah, worth it. It's, it's and this is all while the president of Kazakhstan told security forces to fire without warning on rioters. So those numbers are probably much higher. Gosh, will the U.S. and Western Europe step in and try to control the situation? Oh, that's a great question, and I don't think they will. So unlike the situation in Ukraine, Kazakhstan is a very close ally to Russia and views Russian support as a key tenet of national security. Okay, so let's get into the Ukraine-Russia update. Are there any new developments there? Well, once again, a lot to get into this week. Uh, as Russia mm -hmm. spoke with leaders from the U.S. and NATO this week, uh, Russia and the U.S. spoke earlier in the week, and both sides expressed some optimism, but said that they did not break an impasse over Russia's demand that Ukraine never become a member of NATO. And just a, a quick update on all that. NATO has said they will allow Ukraine and Georgia into NATO. Um, so oh, that's no. that's not going to be good for uh, global security. Someone's bottom line? <laughs> yes. Now, Someone NATO did say after their discussions with Russia that Russia had not committed to de-escalation and that NATO countries should embrace the need to resume dialogue in order to prevent armed conflict. Mm -hmm. So the NATO uh, statement said, We had a very serious and direct exchange on the situation in and around Ukraine and the implications for European security. There are significant differences between NATO allies and Russia on these issues. Our differences will not be easy to bridge, but it is a positive sign that all NATO allies and Russia sat down around the same table and engaged on substantial topics. Then are we headed to a peaceful resolution? Uh, I wish that were the case, uh, as reporting on this is all over the place. And it isn't helpful that the U.S. and NATO are putting out statements that conflict with Russia's statements about the talks. So Russia continues to state that any advancement of NATO into Eastern Europe will be seen as a provocation and will justify Russia protecting itself from armed conflict. However, after the meetings, uh, Russia Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryapkov said that there are no plans or intentions to attack Ukraine. NATO says any plans to deny Ukraine membership in NATO is a non-starter in negotiations. But what does Ukraine want in all of this? Uh, once again, it depends on who you ask uh, <clears throat> and where that person is from. So Eastern Ukraine is very pro-Russia and see themselves as Russian more so than Ukrainian. 
Now on the west and within the capital of Kiev, Ukrainians fear a war with Russia will bring them back to Soviet-area policy that was devastating to families. But to actually answer the question and not just say a bunch of filler words, more Ukrainians tilt toward the West and NATO. In the midst of all of the talk of armed conflict, it appears that Russia is participating in fifth-generation warfare on Ukraine. Hold up. What is fifth-generation warfare? (laughs) Really, thank you, Tiana, because I just (laughs) start saying stuff and then I don't really define what I'm saying. So uh, for those of you who didn't listen to the first episode of Insightful Inquiries, uh, Tony Vick and myself spoke very briefly about this. And the definition of fifth generation warfare is uh, warfare that is conducted primarily through non-kinetic military action, such as social engineering, misinformation, cyber attacks, along with emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence and fully autonomous systems. Well, thank you for defining that term. It's my job as the layperson to (laughs) make sure that you you clue us, all all of us who don't have any background in Intel, it, you know, you need to define words. (laughs) Yeah, and I I really, I thank you for doing that. So So, um, how is Russia participating in this? Well, I had a lot to say on this, um, but I do want to say because uh, just today, uh, I just found out that Russia has actually shut down Ukrainian websites, the Ukrainian government website, in in a successful cyber attack on Ukraine. Oh, no. (laughs) So uh, this also is not good because earlier there was talk from a lot of Ukrainian soldiers that before major attacks, they receive cell phone text messages or their families will receive emails from the Russian side threatening them, telling them that they're all going to die or telling them that they've been betrayed by their civilian leadership. And the Ukrainians don't even want to use military radios and or cell phones on the front lines. There seems to still be a lot to unpack with this situation. And I'm sure in the coming days and weeks, we will have more updates. So we need to switch gears and let's discuss North Korea. Is there anything coming from them? Uh, Yeah. So North Korea tested multiple ballistic missiles that they have claimed were successful hypersonic launches. He said uh, this week it performed a successful flight test of a hypersonic missile they claim would remarkably increase the country's nuclear war deterrent. That report from North Korean state media came a day after the militaries of the United States, South Korea, and Japan said they detected North Korea firing a suspected ballistic missile into the Eastern Sea. Experts say, however, that North Korea needs more successful and longer-range tests that would take years before acquiring a credible hypersonic system. Now, minutes after the launch, Airports across the western United States halted flights for about 15 minutes as a precautionary measure. How does this differ from where China is with hypersonic weapons? Well, the Korean government is stating that the hypersonic missile reach Mach 10, and that's the South Korean government that said that. Um, And that would be over 7,600 miles per hour. While most hypersonic missiles are topping off at Mach 5 or about... 3,800 miles per hour. But most of the global hypersonic missile arsenal is focused on circumnavigating the globe and precise long-range targeting. 
Now, the North Korean missile flew only 434 miles before landing in North Korea's eastern sea. What are the implications if North Korea is successful in launching a hypersonic missile that can go much, much farther? Well, that would be a game changer. It could lead to the possibility of a direct attack on all of Asia, the U.S., and even Europe, with only a small window of opportunity to detect the attack and prevent it. Is there any further insight that you can give us or the listeners? Uh, I mean, right now, not really. Not until more information comes out. No. I don't care about being the first to report it. That's hence the reason we do a review of the week. But what I do care about is trying to be the most accurate reporting. Uh, And that's what we'll try to do here when more information is available. So stay tuned, guys. Okay, so is there anything else on your radar? Yeah, so we've kind of fallen to number 98 overall in Poland. So I wanted to give a good Poland story for for our listeners out there who are some good, really good friends of ours. Yeah. And so this is it. So in in 2019, there was a Polish spyware scandal that rocked elections in Poland And more information has come out this week. So this is all focused on the alleged historical use of mobile spyware by Poland's ruling party against an opposition lawmaker that is raising questions over the legitimacy of the country's 2019 parliamentary elections. Uh, Citizen Lab, which is an internet watchdog, found that the notorious spyware Pegasus was used to spy on three critics of the Polish government. One of the targets, uh, Krzysztof Berza, is a member of the Polish Senate whose phone was hacked dozens of times ahead of parliamentary elections in 2019. Text messages stolen from his phone were uh, doctored and aired by state-controlled TV as part of an apparent smear campaign in the run-up to the election. So Berta's left-leaning political coalition Civic Platform uh, subsequently lost the country's 2019 parliamentary election by a close margin. And he told the Associated Press, which first reported the hacks, that the election was unfair since the ruling party would have had access to his campaign's plan. For years, the Polish government denied the accounts, but uh, recent findings indicate that the spyware was indeed used on multiple occasions. Does this spyware focus only on Polish officials? It doesn't, um, and it's even been found in at least nine U.S. State Department employees' iPhones. Well, where did this spyware originate? Well, it was uh, it was developed by the Israeli cyber arms firm Niv Shalev and Omri, uh, mm-hmm. which is abbreviated NSO. Mm-hmm. And NSO claims that uh, it provides authorized governments with the technology that helps them combat terror and crime. However, that technology is being used to track human rights activists, journalists, and even played a role in the murder of Saudi dissident Jamal Khashoggi, which was done by agents of the Saudi government. Uh, it was also used to spy on the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Bezos, <laughs> after uh, Mohammed bin... Don't get me Sa- started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so Bezos went to uh, Saudi Arabia, and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia exchanged messages with him that exploited then-unknown vulnerabilities in the secure chat application WhatsApp. And so what is the Polish government saying about this? Well, Polish Prime Minister Matus Morawiecki called the Associated Press and Citizens Lab's findings fake news and claimed a foreign intelligence service could be to blame. And uh, Polish opposition leader Donald Tusk, who's the new leader of Civic Platform, has called for a parliamentary inquiry into the government's use of Pegasus. Will there be new elections in Poland? Probably not, but it is something worth following. And always remember, no matter how secure you think you are, 
there are vulnerabilities to your phone, computers, any technology that you interact with could be used to spy on you. It's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else before we get to history's mysteries? Yeah, so the head of Denmark's Foreign Intelligence Agency has been in prison for a month for allegedly leaking highly classified information. Unfortunately for him, he isn't an American politician because he'd still be a free man. Yeah, he certainly would. Uh, however, he was arrested and then charged with disclosing state secrets a crime that amounts to treason and can carry a 12-year prison term. What is he saying about the charges? Well, uh, I'll quote him directly. He says, I want the charges brought forward and I plead not guilty. This is completely insane. And before his arrest, Mr. Finson and a number of other intelligence officials had been suspended in August 2020 as part of a separate internal investigation. That year, an independent intelligence watchdog made allegations that Danish intelligence colluded with the U.S. National Security Agency to spy on private Danish citizens. The case was investigated and found no wrongdoing, and Mr. Finson was released from his suspension. What effect does this have on a global scale? Well, it could be severe, as it may harm Danish cooperation with foreign intelligence services. And if we are to believe an armed conflict in Eastern Europe is imminent, Danish intelligence would play a critical role in thwarting Russian aggression. Oh, great. So when will we know more about this situation? Well, Mr. Finson is in pretrial detention until February 4th, by which time we should have way more information on this. Can't wait to hear the outcome of that. Now, let's move on to history's mysteries. What do you have for us this week? Yeah, so this week we will discuss Agent 355, who was one of the first spies for what would become the United States of America. Okay, now I need to know their name. And so does the rest of the world, because very little is known about Agent 355, including her name. But what is known is quite fascinating. So Agent 355 was the code name of a female spy during the American Revolution as part of the Culper Ring. What is the Culper Ring? Well, the Culper Ring was a network of spies active during the American Revolution, organized by General George Washington in 1778 during the British occupation of New York City. So the ring was tasked to provide General Washington with information on British Army operations in New York City, which at the time was the British headquarters in America. Since the true identity of Agent 355 remains unknown, is there anything that we do know about her? Sure. Uh, she worked with the American Patriots during the Revolutionary War as a spy and was likely recruited into the spy ring by ringleader Abraham Woodhull. There's a prevailing thought that she may have had some degree of social prominence, uh, according to Susan Casey's book, Women Heroes of the American Revolution. She was likely living in New York City at the time, and at some point had contact with Benedict Arnold. Agent 355 is thought to have played a major role in the arrest of Major John Andre, who was hanged in Tapin, New York. So it's believed that she was arrested in 1780 when Benedict Arnold defected to the Loyalists. She was particularly effective in gathering valuable information from careless conversations between the British and their sympathizers. Yet her most important achievement was presenting information that, Amer that an American general was, to quote her, in compact with the enemy, um. and that he was about to betray the American cause. So this concerned covert British plans to use an American general to capture West Point, which at that point was the most important fort on the continent. 
-hmm. Now, by the summer of 1780, General Benedict Arnold had gained command of West Point and was preparing to surrender it to the British Army in return for money. It is speculated that it was Agent 355 who passed along the critical information that exposed the treason of Benedict Arnold and led to the arrest of Major John Andre, who was captured with maps of West Point and a pass signed by Arnold in his possession. So she literally changed the course of history. Quite literally. Obviously not by herself, as nothing in history is changed by a single entity, but her actions helped change the tide of the war, and in November 1782, British and American negotiators in Paris signed preliminary peace terms in France. Uh, Then on September 3rd, 1783, Great Britain formally recognized the independence of the United States in the Treaty of Paris. Wow, that was that's a really cool story, Kervin. Thank you. And and you were you were exactly right. She changed the course of history. That is so that's so cool. Is there anything else on your radar for this week? Well, after that, I think we are out of time this week. Okay, well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. Recently, Spotify has added podcast reviews, so if you listen on Spotify, please rate and review. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.